0: Hey, Kyle for family. My name is Matt. Thank you, guys. Hey, I wanted to tell you, you have an absolutely fantastic speaker lined up for these next few days uh, while you're here in beautiful Greenville, South Carolina. I first had the opportunity to hear Kurt speak uh, when I was sitting where you're sitting, figuratively, as a student at a SALT conference about 16 years ago today, uh, and uh, man, it's powerful, powerful, exciting, exciting time. Getting involved in Kai Alpha here in this guy come and share. Um, and as Jonathan already shared, uh, Kurt's funny. He's entertaining. Uh, also, just a gifted communicator, storyteller. Uh, as my wife and I transitioned into being Kai Alpha staff, man, um, Kurt invested in us at uh, national training uh, at RUI. Uh, after, after our children were born, and we'd gone on staff with Kyle at University of Tennessee. Uh, we attended SALT in Jacksonville, Florida, where Kurt was also the SALT speaker. Again, there's a, there's a trend there. Um, and our six-month-old daughter, Hannah, became like a, a sermon illustration prop uh, right there on the, on the stage to illustrate a, a point about the vulnerability of Jesus coming as a baby. Um, and so if you're a baby here tonight, if you're an infant and you think, there's no way they're going to have me get up on that stage, I want to be so sure. Anything can happen at Southeast Salt. Amen. So, so yeah, Kurt Harlow is our speaker uh, for, the, for these next few days. Kurt, man, he's got Chi Alpha in his DNA, right? Between times serving uh, uh, in Chi Alpha as a student and then on staff with Chi Alpha, almost 30 years uh, working, working with Chi Alpha, working with university students, uh, Kurt now serves as one of the senior pastors of Bayside Church in Sacramento, California. Um, and, and God's doing amazing things there through His ministry there. But but Kurt loves university students. He's passionate about university students. More importantly than that, he's passionate about Jesus. Amen. And passionate about seeing lives transformed for the glory of God. So if you guys could welcome Southeast Salt, welcome Kurt Harlow to the stage.
1: Thank you, my brother. Appreciate that. Give it up for this worship team that just did such a great job. Give it up for all the production people that set this up. Come on, give it up for all those people that unload trucks and wash things. Uh, my name is Pastor Kurt, I'm one of the pastors at Bayside Church. Like he said, uh, I got a picture of my family. Got that family? There's my family right there. There's me in the back. Uh, you see, Jesse's my oldest with a beard. He just turned 27. Works IT at church, and he is uh, he's, he's he's an entrepreneur. He's, he's trying to monetize his um, his uh, he's a gamer. Any gamers here? You got any gamers here? Super Smash? Any Super Smash? He was the number one Sonic player in Northern California for a couple years. Then uh, I got Maddie with the glasses down there. She's uh, on her third year of university. She wants to be an animator. There's Dijon behind my wife right there. And then uh, Kelly, we've been married for 23 years. Come on, give it up for Miss Kelly. And then that's my youngest who just turned, uh, is just about to turn. 18 and that's my dog, Mickey, right there. So that's Emma and Mickey. You'll notice one of my kids doesn't look like the other kids. So you notice how Maddie's nose is not the same. If you didn't get that, there's nothing I could do for you. Turn to your neighbor, say, turn on your frontal lobe right now. Um, we're going to be in the, the Gospel of John. First John, third John, first chapter John. Uh, Third chapter John, fourth chapter John, fifth chapter John, my four sessions with you. I'm going to skip the second chapter of John because it's all about drinking wine and I'm from California and I don't want to preach heresy. So we're just going to go one, three, four. Turn your neighbor and say, if you're not happy, start being happy right now. God brings conviction. God's word brings transformation. By the way, I don't think worship changes us. I don't even think preaching changes us. You know what worship does? It prepares us to get the truth in our hearts. But even the truth in our hearts doesn't change us. The Bible says the truth is changed by the renewing of our minds. You know what changes us? God changes us. The grace of God changes us. Usually, the meeting of God is preparation for what God wants to do. I appreciated what you had to say about that, Jonathan. I want to spend four sessions with you where we try our hardest to magnify the Word of God and Jesus. I'm going to teach. You're going to learn something. So, right if I teach, how many here are are taking notes? Let me ask this different. How many here have ever had a class in which you took notes in that class? Raise your hand high. How many would say that class is more important than the eternal Word of God? Then, why aren't you taking notes in church? Bring your Bible. I'm not just going to spit up here. We're going to learn some stuff verse by verse. We're going to go through some passages. Are you up for that? Yeah. And our goal will be not to leave Saul and say, that was the funnest salt ever, that was the best worship team, although that worship team killed, or that was the best speaker. Our goal will be to get the worship in our spirit so that the word could get in our spirit so that the relationship with Christ can actually transform us. You see... The question we're going to ask is, who is Jesus? Four sessions, we're going to ask it four times, who is Jesus? And the reason that we're going to ask this question, because definitions matter. The level to which we think about who Jesus is, is directly associated with every single challenge we have. You don't have a financial challenge. You don't have a boyfriend challenge. You don't have a major challenge. You don't have a direction challenge. You have an elevation of who Christ is in your heart and mind challenge. When you magnify Christ and define him, you don't believe me. I'm going to have to prove this to you. How many here, um, how many here, you're the eldest child in your family? Raise up there. By the way, by the way, did you guys know every family has a favorite? Did you know that? If you don't know that, that means you're the favorite. (laughs) Shame on you. Shame on you for being mom's favorite. Where, I have a, where's the, you're the eldest in your family, okay? Let me show you how roles and definitions matter. You're the eldest in your family? I got a message from Jesus for every... Raise your hand again. Where are you? Eldest. I got a message directly from Jesus for all of you that are the eldest in your family. You're not the boss of me. I got a mom. I got... You're not the boss of me. Where's the youngest? Raise your hand and you're the youngest. (laughs) So proud of yourselves. (laughs) Woo! We're here! We're here! We made it! I'm here! Raise your hand, the youngest. I got a message of Jesus for you. Look at me. Look at me. Right in the eye. You get away with too much. <laughs> By the time you came around, you were barely raised, son. By the time you got here, mom and dad were so tired, dad slept through your childhood on the couch with a remote control on his chest. Oh, go ahead. Go, go with them. I don't care. You got away with too much. Where's my middles? Everyone in the middle, raise your hand. Okay, I got a message from Jesus, Middles. I got a message from Jesus. Look at me. Here's my message from Jesus. God knows your name. <laughs> no one else does. I was the fifth of seven children. Leslie was my oldest sister. I call her the alternative mom. Then we got Carrie Chris, Craig Kurt. My name growing up was... Carrie, Chris, Craig, Kurt, Because my mom was too brain damaged after four children to get the names right. Anyone have a mom like this? Oh, you'll be there someday. You'll be there someday. Then there was Lisa and my half-sister Kelly. Now listen to me. My mom did not want to have another boy. She had had Leslie, Carrie, Chris, Craig. She wanted to have another boy. And so my dad was fond of telling the story that for the first 30 minutes of my life, my name was Lisa. He had to go into the room. This is back when the dads were not in the room, and they gave the moms lots of drugs. I don't, I don't think that's a good practice. They say i got a little drain bramage. I disagree. But he had to go in the room, and he had to say, we, I have seen this child naked. He's not a Lisa. Definitions matter. Give me an amen. Jonathan, do people know the to amen in this salt region? And we're going to find out. Who is Jesus? The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Logos. What does that mean? Not the Legos, the Logos. What does that mean? Okay, let's back up and just look at all four of the Gospels real quick. We've got to get context. Turn to your neighbor and say context. If you ever hear someone preaching and they don't give you context, they're not preaching right. Context is important. We have four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go ahead, put those four Gospels up for me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a portrait in each one, and there's a portrait and theme and aim. This is a gross oversimplification, but stay with me. Matthew is written to Jewish people, and the idea is the mighty king of prophecy that has come. Mark is written to the Romans, and the idea is the humble servant. Luke is written the son of man. Oh, no, no you put them up too early. You put them up too early, my friend. I'm sorry. Let me give you, the, yeah, there you go, back there. We'll pretend you didn't see him. Let me give you the modern version. Matthew is the history channel. Mark is headline news and Luke is CSI Jerusalem. They're written to the Jews, the Romans, and the Greeks, right? Okay, let me ask you, wh- what, what is John? It's This Is Us. You guys watch the show, This Is Us? See, Matthew is the Old Testament prophecies. Mark is the shortest one. Luke is the most technical and the longest one. Luke is the one who says that Jesus was raised bodily. How many many watch the This Is Us show? Insert your favorite soap opera, because John is the soap opera gospel. John is the gospel where there is drama and people are not liking each other and there's chairs being thrown. John is full Jerry Springer. That's an old reference. See, the first three accounts... Start with events. Every church in America on Christmas they preach Luke because he does a great job of telling you the events of the birth of Jesus. John is different, John is for everyone. And what's happening, since John is the fourth gospel written, it's the later gospel written, and the gospel is effectively working among multiple communities. It's, it's doing what the gospel always does. It's breaking down walls between race and class and peoples. And so many different types of people are actually responding to the gospel by the time that John writes down his account. John understands that he doesn't need to tell us about the events as much as he needs to tell us who is Jesus. The other gospels start with events, John starts with definitions. It's a declaration of incarnation. John 1, 1 through 13. If you got your Bibles, please bring your Bibles when you come to church. I don't care if there are e-Bibles or hard copy, but you bring your Bible. If you got that, read with me. John 1. I'll put it on the screen too. John 1, 1 through 13. Here we go. He's still with me, give me an amen. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you're a Hebrew and you're writing and you repeat things, why are you repeating them? That's their explanation point. There's no periods or punctuation in any of this Greek. If you, when you repeat things, that's your explanation point. That's your all caps. Circle the word word three times. I want you to circle it, underline it. If you've got a highlighter, use two colors and draw a unicorn next to it. That's how important it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word, uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. Someone tell me where the Bible says that the light shined in the darkness. Genesis 1.1. If you're a Jewish person reading this passage, you immediately know he is saying the same God who said, let there be light, is the word, is Jesus. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God who was named John. He came as a witness, circle that word witness, another key term, to testify concerning the light, so that through him all my belief, he himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, the Jewish people, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all those who did receive him, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, you've got you to gotta get some context in here, right? The right to become the children of God. If you are a Jewish thinker in the century before Jesus came on earth, what you felt was you got to go to heaven because of two things. You had the right parents and you obeyed the law. The way to get to heaven is having the right parents. I have Jewish parents and I obeyed the Hebrew God's laws. That's how you got into heaven. John is saying, no, it's not your lineage. It's not your DNA that gets you into heaven. It's your faith. Yet to all those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Why is this particular passage so important? Why should we master this material? Why does this have more relevance now than ever before? It's because we have forgotten the definition of Jesus. We... we Jonathan's point a minute ago, we preach for emotions and ignore content. What was that last song that we worshiped team? What was that last song? What's that called, that last song? It's, um, that's, that's one of the few songs we sing where I look at that song and go, there's great content in that song. You, open your ears. There's so many songs we're singing nowadays. We're singing to ourselves to comfort ourselves. This is who I am, God. This is who I am, God. No, we need to know who God is And have him speak to us who we are. We have forgotten who the word is. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, please read everything that you can by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He recounts that the tragedy of the millions of deaths at the hands of Russian communism is directly related to the forgetting of who God is He writes this, more than half a century ago, while I was still a child, I recall hearing a number of older people offering this explanation for the great disasters that have befallen the Russian people. They said, men have forgotten God. That is why all of this has happened. If you look to the lack of civility in our culture, if you look to the crassness, if you look to the increasing dramatic, and I mean epidemic of anxiety, If we were to all lay our medicines out on the table today of what we're taking in this room as born-again believers that believe in the Word of God and believe that God liberates us, we would see that a significant amount of us are struggling with anxiety. And I don't say that to condemn you. Get treatment. Go for health in every way you can. But I want to tell you, there's got to be a reason why we're sinking deeper and deeper into this anxiety and depression. And anger. And I think it is because we miss the power of the definition of our God. I want to talk just briefly about three defining truths about Jesus. I'm going to keep it simple tonight. My main goal tonight is to prepare our hearts for what God will do tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, and of course on our last night. I want to just have A reset moment. Can we reset? Some of us have been traveling. Many of us have eaten too much pie. Give me an amen if you know what I'm talking about. I want to have a reset moment by talking about just who God is. None of this will be a revelation. None of you will walk out of here that have been in any amount of church and go, oh, I never heard that before. Hopefully you'll say, I needed to hear that again. See, Jesus is unique. I remember the first speech I ever gave. How many here you're afraid of public speaking you're afraid i've never had that problem it's fascinating to me they say it's the number one fear i've done, i had this public speaking class and i took it because i i hate math anyone here hate math i hate math math is wrong math is of satan okay they tell me that the multiply thing is an x and then one day it's a dot what was that what was that that's wrong it's so one day they changed it on me it's just a dot now why didn't it be a dot the whole time anyway I get, I digress. So I take this math class in high school. This guy named Ron Picard is the teacher. He later became a Christian. And, and he said to me, he said, have an opening statement that gets a wow. He said, when you're a good public speaker, you have an opening statement that gets a wow. And I just had got, gotten born again. i just become a Christian. I did grow up in a total non-Christian uh, family. Grew up Catholic. We went to church twice a year. Knew nothing about God. I thought it was the book of Job for the first two years of my faith. I mean, I knew nothing. And, and he said you should speak on a topic that you're passionate about and start with a really cool opening statement. And so I thought, I want to talk about the reality and uniqueness of Jesus Christ. That's what I wanted to talk about because I was passionate about that. I thought, what could I do as an open statement? And so what I thought of is I got all these books. I got like a ton of books and these three-ring binders and all this resource material. And the girl that was before me, she gave her a little speech, and she sat down. Everyone gave her a couple little notes. And then uh, uh, Teacher Picard said, you know, Kurt, it's your turn. And I had this flimsy music stand up there, and I took all of my my resources, and I put it on the flimsy music stand. And no one thought my speech had started yet, and I put it on the... Thing, and, it, and it knocked it over and it just went, <coughs> and it made this huge crash. And it just went, Jesus Christ is the only deity who's also a curse word. And that was the start <laughs> of my sermon. If you're offended by that, we're not going to get along the next day. Because I think that's awesome. Why is Jesus Christ the only deity that's a curse word? No one stubs their toe and goes, Buddha. Buddha. You know why it is? Because Jesus has come to mess with you. Jesus has come to disturb you. Jesus has come to take authority. Number one, here's the first thing you got to know about Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. It couldn't be more clear from this passage. John states it in a way that is more rich to the antiquity ear than it is to the modern ear. But believe me, he is saying over and over and over and over again, Jesus is God. He was with God. He was there from the beginning. Nothing was created that wasn't created without him. He is the word. 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 What does word mean? Word is the word logos. Now, logos means logic. It's the same word as logic. The word is God's logic. What is Jesus? He is the thoughts of God. He's the logic of God. He is the mind of God. He's the will of God. He's the attitude of God. He is how we know what God is. There's a lady that goes to the Safeway. At the same time I go to Safeway. I go to Safeway the same time every week and I show up there and this lady is always there and I see her and she says hi to me. She knows I'm Pastor Kurt in my town. I say hi to you and da da da. She doesn't go to my church. I've talked to her enough to know that about her and we just we just pass each other and we say hi and I know about this lady I know this she likes frozen foods. she's always there buying frozen foods I know this she likes a particular type of box red wine she buys two boxes of this box red wine do I know that lady no I know of her I don't know her because I have not heard her story words are the ultimate definition of who you are the only way for me to know that lady I know of her The only way for me to know her would be to sit down and listen to her words. That's how I would know who she is. Who is Jesus? He is the words of the mind of the Father. He is the logos of God, the logic of God, the argument of God. God never argues his existence in the Bible. There are not five proofs of God's existence in Genesis. God is never argued from a philosophical point of view about his existence. You know why he's not argued? Because Jesus is the argument. He showed up. He incarnated. John's first and foremost goal in the book, in the gospel of John, is to prove that Jesus is God. What is the significance of this statement, I am? Over and over again, Jesus says, I am, I am, I am. Who knows what that is? I'm going to ask questions, and they're all easy. Who knows? What's the significance of I am? Not, Not a campus pastor. Who, let me ask it a better way. Who else said I am? Where did he say it? In the burning bush in Moses. Very good. And so this is the echo of John in John chapter 6, 35, I am, what, the bread of life. In 8, 12, I am the light of world. In 10, 7, I am the gate. In 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. That's chapter 11, verse 25. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's 14, 6. And I am the vine. By the way, you know why you can't stay holy? You know why you keep sinning that sin that you want, don't want to sin, but you keep doing it over again? Because you don't understand what it means that he is the vine. We're going to talk about that tomorrow morning. The first opposition to authentic Christianity is always to change, alter, edit, or lower the nature of Christ. The first step to all deliverance is to elevate and magnify. What is the purpose of worship? We magnify the Lord. What does it mean to magnify? We make Him bigger. How big is your Jesus? At what level of power are you defining Him? You know, uh, I like baseball. Any baseball fans around here? I like baseball. And uh, my team is the Giants, San Francisco Giants. And I like to go out and sit in the left field bleachers because there's the cheap bleachers. And I was a campus pastor for many years. That means I'm cheap. I'm thrifty. I'm a good steward. And I would sit out there in the left field bleachers. And they would serve these beers to people in the left field. Beach. They're, they're just like giant beers. And there was this one guy there this day. And he had had two of these giant beers. And he was a, he was a Giants fan. But, but he was embarrassing everyone because he was out there sitting on his seat in left field. The left field bridge is as far from the home plate as you can get. And every single pitch that went against us, he would yell. He'd get him and say, you're a stinking stupid umpire. You got your glasses Walmart. Walmart glasses. And he would just be arguing every single pitch. And I got thinking about this. Here this guy is. He's completely inebriated. He's 450 feet away from home plate. And the umpire who's been trained is an eyewitness right behind the catcher. And this guy thinks he knows better than the umpire. That's how we are with Jesus. We have eyewitness accounts of who Jesus is, what he did, and that he was the deity. And yet we want to change him throughout history. We're always lowering. We're always saying, we know better than you, Peter and Matthew and Mark and Martha and Philip and James and John. See, we want to make him God's power possessing a man. That's Gnosticism. There's a certain religion. We'll call it Jehovah Witnesses because that's who they are. They want to make him into... If you're a Jehovah Witness, I love you. I really do. But they want to say that Jesus is Michael, the archangel in disguise. Mormon wants to say he's the brother of, of Satan. Um, there's one type of religion that wants to say that he's one of nine prophets that have come to reveal God's truth. There's a whole group of liberal fathers saying he's a, collectoral, a collective cultural conscious. Of what it means to be sacrificial. There's new age that says he's a medium channeling, I'm not making this up, a spirit from the sixth sphere. And then the most popular one nowadays is he's a failed political leader, not a god at all. My friends, I believe the eyewitnesses. I believe Peter and John and Martha and Mary who were standing right here. And said, he is the I am. I'm gonna move on to point two now. Can I move on to point two? You know, we're addicted to outrage. We're also angry with each other. Did we lose the keynote? Did it just go out? Or no, you were just waiting for me. Good job. Give it up for Michael. <clears throat> we are all so mean nowadays. Social media is a part of it. But you know why we're mean? You know what I think we're really mean? We don't have enough hope people without hope, people that think there's no real way to change, people caught in addiction, people caught in despair, if you take away the hope, you get extra meanness. That's what happens. And I think our world is better off economically. It really is truly. If you look at the amount of poverty, how it's shrinking, we had 42% poverty when Reagan was president. We have in our globe right now, uh, in the 20s, we are on the way to eliminating poverty. We have more and more stuff and things. We have less and less hope. We live in greater fear. I uh, I was the Bible story reader at our camp this summer for kids. We do a huge kids camp. On one of our campuses, we have 5,000 kids who come to camp. And what I've done the last couple of years, I come in, I do a little devotion in the morning for the volunteers. And one of my staff members said to me, wow, man, you have the easiest job at camp. All you have to do is this five-minute devotion. And then camp's really hard. How many here have ever led a kids camp? Um, uh, you are of Jesus. You are of the Lord if you have done that. You are holy and anointed, and if you're single, someone should marry you. You are awesome. You are awesome. Because it's hard work. Do you know, what little, you know what they call a person with ADHD? A kid. They all have it. And so, so my fourth and fifth grade pastor is this gal named Carla. And I went to Carla, and I said, Carla, I want a real job this year. And she said, Pastor Kurt, would you be the Bible story reader what the Bible story reader does is they dress up a costume they do a little skit and then they read the passage and they teach on it And I said that's a perfect job for me I will be there every day of camp and I'll be the Bible story reader and our our theme was welcome to the jungle so I was dressed up like Indiana Jones and 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 what would happen is every day we'd have this little skit where I try to teach Carla something and she wouldn't get it then I'd read it from the scripture and teach the kids it and we had a single th- so one of the days the word was forgiven forgiven we're teaching on forgiveness and this is like day three, and I think they're into it. I've been teaching them. I've been spreading the grace of God with all these kids. And, and the thing is, I'm supposed to be teaching Carla how to box at the beginning of it, and she doesn't pay attention, and she gives this big roundhouse when I'm not looking, and she knocks me out. She just punches me in the face, and we really did it. She punched me. I went down. The kids all screamed. They thought it was real. I got up, and, and Carla's like, oh. Her character's like, Oh. I'm so, so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I should have been listening. I didn't act right. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? And then I say to the boys and girls, these are all kindergarten to third graders, tiny little humans, okay? Cute little cherubs, right? And I say to them, I say to them, what do you think, boys and girls? Should I forgive Carla? And one little boy stands up and says, kick her out, And then every, I'm talking 1,500 kids stand up, kick her out, kick her out, it goes full Lord of the Rings, full Lord of the Rings. I'm like, who put the anger into these children? I was like, we don't need camp, we need deliverance. They have these laser tag things at camp. This kid just wails off and hits this other kid. In a laser. So I just take him aside. And uh, I said, why did you hit him? I don't know. I don't know. I get talking to the, to the adult volunteer that's been working with this group. Well, you know, um, his mom and dad divorced his brother, his twin brother is in a different state. His twin brother in a different state. Every one of these kids, you start telling the story to them. Third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, they've already gone through major disappointments. Serious trials. Why do we have so much anger? Why such a lack of civility online? Number two, write it in. Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus is hope. Jesus is hope. There is no functioning without hope. If you do not believe that there is some sort of hopeful alternative in your future, if you don't believe that change can possibly happen, if you don't believe that transformation is a potential possibility in your life, you get meaner and more sick and more anxious and more depressed. Let's break this down because I want to look at this really clearly. Jesus is defined as hope by John so well. He says, He came to defeat darkness, He's the light. That defeats darkness. What does that mean? That means your life can have clarity. God doesn't reveal everything that you need to know about everything in the moment of all the moments of your life. But he does bring clarity of direction to those who submit to him. He, the Bible says, makes paths straight. You're struggling with clarity in your life about what your next step is and who you should be and where you should go. You need to get a hold of the hope of Christ. God's not hiding his will from you. I had a friend who was struggling with his direction in life. We had lunch a couple weeks ago. He said, I had a major breakthrough, Kurt. I said, I said, how did you get a major breakthrough? And he said, I realized that God wasn't hiding from me. He goes, I realized that it was all me. Hiding from God. And when I realized that, I got clarity. He came to defeat doubt. He comes that we might believe, the Bible says. That's certainty. Doubt is the sort of thing that happens in two folds. One, when we are honestly questioning, and there's nothing wrong with honest questions. Nicodemus questioned. Jesus said that he was a man with no guile. But doubt also happens when we want to hide and justify sin. In both cases, the definition of Jesus as God and as hope brings certainty where we have doubt. And then he came to offer adoption. Yet to all who received him, it says, he became the right to be the children of God. I don't know if you've ever been through an adoption ceremony. I used to wonder about the word picture of adoption in the Bible. It's one of the most favorite ways God describes your relationship with God. And I didn't get it until I actually had a friend who went through this adoption process and we guided him through it. And what, ha- what I learned is there was so much expense involved. The lawyers that they had to hire, the emotional challenge, both for the mother who was giving the child up for adoption... And for them receiving the child, the emotional challenge that was spent. On the first anniversary of this child that we went through the adoption process, we all got together, the birth mother and the adopting family, and my wife put a a sheet out on the ground, and we put this one-year-old kid there, and we put this chocolate cake in front of him, and he just started chowing into the chocolate cake, and we all started laughing, and we're all just laughing what had been such a hard and horrible process. Many dark nights of anxiety had ended up in the joy of this chubby little boy just chowing down a chocolate cake. And I thought this thought. He has no idea the price that was paid for his adoption. He has no idea the legal emotional cost on all parties that he might have hope in his future. This is the word picture of God for you. A legal and relational and emotional cost has been paid so that you could be more secure. You know, here's what I just believe on this idea of hope, if I just talk. I think most Christians have lived without hope for so long. Some because they have a belief that the only way you can serve God if you're all serious and intense all the time and you can't really have hope. That's against the Bible. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. God is hope. Jesus is hope. The other thing, though, is some of you have just lived under your anxiety and your malaise and your lack of motivation for so long that you think it's normal. It's why you can't get your diet right. You don't really believe in the you three years from now, so why treat your body that nice? It's why you can't get your exercise right. You don't really believe in the you for three years from now, so why treat your body that way? It's why you can't get your school right. It's why you procrastinate on your studies because you don't really think that the you three years from now is going to need to learn those degrees and have those lessons. You don't really believe. You might sing that I got a purpose and that God's got me, and I. you might hear the teaching about the body of Christ that we are all interdependent and you play an important role, but you actually believe that someone else's role is more important than you, that you're a secondary player, And that my friend is against the theology of God You have a future And you've lived uninspired for so long You don't know that there's so much more We need to come out of our hopelessness Stop complaining about where the culture is changing Stop trying to make a point Stop trying to win an argument And start trying to win the future We've been like this so long, we think it's normal. You are not meant to live without hope. I need to move on because I could preach on this forever. You guys getting anything out of this? You got a little quiet. You got like a three of you. We're, we're, I was preaching way better than you were, amen, and I'm just going to say that. Number one, Jesus is God. Fully God with all the power, rights, and abilities of God. If you appeal to Jesus, you appeal to God. I wish I could teach on the Trinity, but we're just going to stay it right there for tonight. Jesus is hope. He's hope against darkness. You can have clarity and certainty and security in your future. He won't tell you everything. He's going to tell you anything that you need. And number three, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Do you believe that, by the way? Is this a nice little week where you don't have to hang out with your younger sister too much because she's so annoying? Is this? Listen to this. Go back to the thing. The word, that's fully God, became flesh, that's fully human, and made his dwelling. Now the Greek word for dwelling here is a very interesting word and not a common word. It is the word tabernacle. And tabernacle is the Reference to the holy of holies. We're reading this from a Jewish point of view for a second. The word, the logic of God, became flesh, dwelt among us, Emmanuel, and made his holy of holies, his tabernacle among us. This is why he says this. Watch this. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace in truth, this is a reference back to Moses. This is a reference back to all the richness of the presence of God when it delivered slaves unto freedom. This is saying that the same way that Moses' face blue, the same way that the holy of holies could be entered by one priest that you and I can enter, this is saying that God has created a meeting place for you, a tabernacle. Why is Jesus a curse word? Because he refuses to keep his distance. Why is Jesus a curse word? Because he's pressing you to meet with him. I want the worship team to come back. Do you guys, uh, do you guys know what this is? Don't, don't, don't put that last slide up yet. You know what this is? is? anyone Who knows what this is? It's the do not disturb. It says, it's so polite. It says, by the way, this hotel's awesome. Amen? It's so polite. It says, presently occupied so um so you know I like you like going to a hotel I love going to a hotel you like who who likes going to a hotel when you go I like going to a hotel because I like pretending I'm rich you like it some of you might be rich I'm not rich I like walking in and going oh yes the maid's coming later (laughs) and uh here's the five dollar waters we'll go to CVS and get some one dollar ones later but there's some five dollar ones if we want them. And then I like to go in the bed and go and feel it and go, oh yeah, that matches that. Mm-hmm. I, the thread count on those sheets. Oh, and then you go in the bathroom, right? And like, like this hotel doesn't have, a lot of times they have like, oh, it's the jacuzzi in the tub and then a separate shower just in case six people want to shower once, which is not godly, but it's nice to have. And then you, you're like, yeah, I said it. I'm going to say some other things. And then you're like, Ooh, free lotion. And then you're just doing this, right? Now. <laughs> who, stole the, who stole the Colgate from your, from your roommates? Come on, did you get it? Uh, my, my, mine had a little free Colgate in there, and I took it put it right in the thing right there because I'm cheap. You're cheap too, aren't you? You guys want to get rid of this table? You can get rid of this table. Just get rid of all this. But you know the best thing... About a hotel room, the best thing about a hotel room is the door hanger. Just think, go ahead, put that slide up. Just think, like I went to a hotel and had both these door hangers. Do not disturb, right? And then it had, please clean my room. Have you ever seen that one? Oh, that's from Jesus, that one. Just think if you could take those home into your real life. You just think, how many here you got a roommate? This is not quite Right? You could just, just, you just go into the kitchen and put that on the kitchen door. Let's, I'm going to be here in the kitchen, and I'm going to eat whatever I want in this kitchen, whether I bought it or not. Do not disturb. How many, you ever been around someone that talks too loud while you're trying to study? You're trying to, st- you're figuring out organic chemistry, and they're in another the room just going, ah, ha, ha. And he's like, no, do not disturb. Would you like to, I would like to take that sign, not just hang it on my door, but just hang it on people's collar. You, can you do that? Like, you get a do not disturb yeah all day do not disturb but the one I really want is please clean this room I want please clean this room come on worship team are you with me I want please clean this room I want to get to my bed at night throw the stuff off three scrubs with the bread go and like that get up total mess filthy hang that on there come back fold it close give me an amen if you're with me I want to please clean my room pass you know just as much as we've got this please clean my room and this do not disturb? Every one of us has those two signs with God. Every one of us has got those two signs with God. Every one of us has got the please do not disturb. God, I don't really want to actually think about whether or not this is my future. I don't really want to think about whether or not you approve of this relationship. I don't really want to get into my issues with what i seen on the screen the other night on my phone. I don't want to really talk about my anxiety and depression. God, be that safe Jesus. Be that lambing Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you that do not disturb. God, I would like to come out of this a little bit happier and a little bit encouraged, but please do not disturb. But the problem with that is if you give given the do not disturb, you never clean the house. You never clean the house. Here's my challenge to you this salt you're going to give them the do not disturb or the please clean this room you're going to give them the it's too late in my education for you to speak are you going to give them the I actually have let my hurts define who I am so if you healed those hurts I wouldn't be that person anymore and I kind of am afraid of what I would be is there anyone who knows what I'm talking about with this? Are you going to give him the do not disturb or the please clean this room? Here's the problem. You give him the please clean this room, he's going to clean it when he wants to clean it. He's not going to go on your schedule. And he's going to clean some things that you didn't even, you shoved it under the bed so long ago. You think the bed needs to be made up. He wants to throw the mattress out. Here's my question, and I'm not going to bow your heads and raise your hands. I'm just going to say this. Here's what we're doing. We're just going to spend some time praying. If you sincerely and truly want to get to the please clean my room level, if you are laying down your do not disturb card and handing Jesus your please clean the room card, if you're saying, Jesus, be all of the God you want to be in me, And do whatever you need to give me real hope, not a fake feeling that lasts for a minute, but something that translates into my life. I believe you're here, and I give you to please clean the room. If that's you, stand up, get out of your chair, and find some place to pray right around this altar. Don't do it because anyone else is doing it. It doesn't work that way. Doesn't matter what part of the room you go to, give yourself a little elbow room. It's the position of your heart, not the position of your body. It's a deliberate decision. He'll never enter in without your permission. He didn't come into your life when you asked him the first time that way. He's not gonna clean the room this time unless you invite him in there. But when you do invite him, fully invite him, right now, you don't need my leadership. Just begin to pray to him right now. Say, God, I need you to come and do a deeper work, something beyond emotions, something that renews my mind, something that gets in my spirit, something lasting. God, I don't have a timetable. I don't have an agenda. I have me, and I give you me. Just can't clap and dance away my problems. Jesus, I admit I need cleaning the closets underneath the piles. Calibrate, redirect, restart, renew, reboot. I yield to you, God. Help me give you what I don't really want to give you. a lot but I'm, I mean this just no one looking around no one looking around just an acknowledgement between you and God between you and Jesus in this conference in this space in this time I need to know that Jesus is bigger I need to know that he's fully God in the circumstance in my life I need Jesus to be magnified in the problem and circumstance I have in my life. If that's you, raise your hand to God. Just keep it up for a second. Jesus, right now, you be fully God. Be the word, be the logic of God, be the argument of God, be the proof of God's existence. Come in your time, in your way, and prove that you were there at the beginning of creation, that nothing was created that you did not create. God, be magnified. Bigger God. God, I pray for each and every hand that's up that you would expand the faith that you have the power to change the circumstance. You need hope in your life. Put your hand down. You need hope in your life. You need to overcome a battle with anxiety, depression, malaise, apathy. You need to believe that there's something better in your future. You need to see the clarity and the certainty that God has holds the future. You need to believe that he came, that you might have a future. If that's you, raise your hand right now. No one looking around. I want you to raise it to God. Say, God, I'm admitting with this hand that I am not as inspired and encouraged as you want me to be. The joy of the Lord has not been present with me. Father God, we pray, come against us that sense in our world of cynicism, of anger, that nothing can change. We give you this time to renew in us the hope of glory, God. God, we're not talking about an emotional experience. We're talking about something that resides in us, that we carry with us. We're talking about Where our eyes are pointed at. We're talking about the energy in our step. Father God. Father God, we give you this time. Define yourself. Define your son. Let your spirit move. Be the God that is with us, filling us with hope. We pray it in Jesus' name.